Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, good morning, everybody. I hope everybody's having a great day. It's really hot here in Texas, so I'm sure we're all thankful to be inside where we have air conditioning, but I am thankful that you are here with us, whether you're here in the room or you're joining us online. Man, thanks so much for being here. Um, If we haven't met or you don't recognize me, my name is Robert. I'm the campus pastor. I did get a haircut. It's been like the topic of conversation all morning. It's just too hot in Texas for long hair. That's all I got to say. So yeah, it had to go. Um, But hey, we just want to say thank you for being with us today. A couple quick announcements before we jump in. Uh, On your way in today, if you joined us at one of the campuses, you may have noticed a big board with a big old shoe on it and a bunch of little cards. That's for our shoe drive, just talked about on our loop, but it's a simple way that we can help those in need around us. We know the back-to-school season is one that is often filled with financial burden, and so this is an easy way for us to offset that. All you gotta do is grab one of these cards and it's gonna tell you um, who you are providing for and what they need. And so my card here today says for a 14-year-old male, uh, he needs size 10 shoes. You go, you buy the shoes, you put the card on it, you bring it back to the church and drop it in the basket. If you're joining us online, you can go to this website or use this QR code and it's gonna take you straight to an Amazon wish list as well. Man, I would love it if you would consider partnering with us to help meet this need in our area. And listen, We don't need your broke, busted runners that you couldn't sell at a garage sale. New shoes, people, new shoes, help us out. Also, you may have noticed uh, uh, around here on this stage, there's a big old Winnebago coming through. We kind of have this Southwest theme going on here on our stage, and I know many of you are probably wondering what that's about. Um, Well, thank you for joining us for our timeshare presentation. Uh, We've got some property, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, actually, VBS starts tomorrow. Very excited about VBS. Man, we're going to have like a 1,000 kids in this room, hundreds of kids at our other campuses. It's not too late to sign up your kid if you uh, want them to come. Hopefellowship.net slash VBS. We're also going to be transforming the rest of all of our church facilities uh, today, right after services. So join us if you want to help uh, flip this entire building to be this Southwest-themed VBS for the kids. But hey, we're jumping into our series. We're in the middle of a series called The Psalms of Summer, Joy, Pain, and Praise. And this tagline at the bottom is very important, but we'll get to that in just a second. Just so you know where we've been, week one, Pastor John opened up with talking about Psalm chapter number one and the blessed life and what a blessed life really looked like. Uh, Week number two, we talked about our spiritual journey and like five markers along the way that we should experience Last week, week three, we had a guest speaker with us, Marcus Lloyd, who just, I mean, he just knocked it out of the park. I wasn't here, but I pulled it up on YouTube to watch, watched it a couple times. If you didn't see him talking about fatherhood and freedom, Psalm 103, do yourself a favor, pick it up. It was phenomenal. But today, we're jumping into Psalm 51, and we're talking about confession, repentance, and restoration. Now, when we began this series of of Psalms, Um, One of the things that I mentioned to you is how much I really love the book of Psalms. Like for me, it's this incredible group of writings that we've put together that really give you this incredible picture of unfiltered, raw authenticity. Like it's, it's literally people in real time struggling through their relationship with God. 
Like it's, it's in these incredible moments that they write about their, their, I mean, just most joyful things, that living in that blessed life and praise God, let's, let's take on hell with a squirt gun. Like this is just like their excited parts of life. But also a couple Psalms later, you'll be reading about them struggling through the mundane of life and trying to figure out God and is he there and what does that look like and in those moments where they're just confused about life. And then a few pages later, you'll be reading and hearing them just talking about just some of the darkest periods in their lives and what they are doing inside of it. Like it's real and it's unfiltered and it's raw and Man, I absolutely love it. Like the Psalms is basically comprised of of people's journals where we've taken pages out of their journals and dropped them into the book of our Bible to to learn from. And today, Psalm 51, which is what we're gonna be talking about, is quite literally ripped from the journal of King David. You, You remember him, David and Goliath, knocked the guy out, that kind of deal, that guy. Ripped from his journal in probably the most shameful period of his life, the darkest period that he would rather forget, rather not talk about, rather no one know about, we've taken it straight from his journal, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, the incredible part of this is really when you put yourself in David's shoes, like, that's a really scary thought, right? Like, how many of us want, like, our darkest secrets from our journal exposed to the world in a book. But it gets even worse for poor King David. Because the way the Psalms work is it actually was a song book for the ancient Israelites. So they gathered these, as people were writing them, they gathered them together, they're poetic in nature in their original writing, so it became easy for them to set to music. And literally they would come to church and they would sing out of the book of Psalms. Some of you uh, maybe went to church long ago and you, you remember the big wooden pews and the song books that they had in the back. They were red or blue and the guy would say, open up to page 168 and we'll sing I'll Fly Away. Like this is what the ancient church was doing with the Psalms. And so David would go to church and they'll be like, let's, uh, let's uh, sing Psalm 51 today about uh, King David's darkest moments. Could you imagine today, like, you walk in the room with your coffee, and you're walking in, the band starts playing, all of a sudden your face, like, pops up on the big screen, and then they start singing about your sin? It's like, and Timmy looked at something on the internet last night. Sorry if your name's Tim, that just popped into my head. That's not even in my notes, like, I don't know where that came from. Like, how mortifying and scary would that be, but that's literally what these are. Come to church, poor King David, and your brokenness is on display. But there's a, there's a reason that these are in here. There's a reason that we talk about these. There's a reason that we need to process through what these present. And I know all of us have probably been in that, that time in our life where we feel like the pastor is like talking directly to us like shaking in our seats a little bit, like, does he, does he know? Does he really know what I did last night or what I said or all of these things? Like, I remember a specific period in my time where I was convinced that that was the case. Like, I was 15 years old, 
And 15 years old, uh, 15 year old Robert spent a lot of time, a lot of time grounded, most of 15. And I know you're thinking, like, what did you do? I am not going to tell you, but let's just suffice it to say, 15 year old Robert was a walking hormone and had a girlfriend. So <clears throat> that wasn't in my notes either. So I've had a lot of coffee this morning. So you're getting, you're getting unfiltered, Robert. But I, I remember being grounded, and I remember sitting in youth service, and my, my youth pastor, like, as he's talking, like, feeling like he's pointing at me. Like, as he's talking, he's like, hey, yeah, yeah, you, Jason, yeah, you, right there, right there. Like, I re- literally felt like he was talking to me and saying things, and I'm, I'm sitting there next to my girlfriend, and I'm, I'm just kind of, like, side-eyeing her, looking over here, like, he's not talking about us, right? So the funny part is, 15 years later, I'm in my 30s, and I don't even remember how this topic got brought up, but I'm back at home with my parents, we're talking, um, and we're laughing one evening, and this, somehow this subject of 15-year-old Robert gets brought up, and my mom casually mentions something in passing. You see, at 15, Robert and his girlfriend, we communicated through writing notes, no cell phones, no text messaging, like I'm kind of dating myself a little bit there, but so you'd, you'd write notes, you'd pass them back and forth. Well, we thought we would be smart and just start keeping these notes in a notebook. Our, our high school schedules uh, didn't line up real well, so I'd write a note, leave it in this binder, shove it in her locker, she'd respond, shove it in my locker, like that's how we communicated a lot. And I didn't put together one day that, oh my goodness, our notebook's missing, where could it be? And then like immediately I was grounded. <laughs> like I didn't put it together, 15-year-old Robert again, stupid. Um, I didn't put together what was going on. Well, now in my 30s, my mom fesses up. Yeah, I found the notebook. I read the notebook. I gave the notebook to your youth pastor. So yes, the youth pastor was looking at me and saying, Robert. So I, I relate a little bit to King David in this moment. But as, as we really look at the Psalms and we, we try to learn from them, like we've got to learn from them in a very different way sometimes than we really learn from other, other stories in the Bible. Because again, this is people's raw, unfiltered emotions trying to figure out their relationship with God, but it's got some incredibly valuable things to say. And today we're going to learn about Psalm 51 and some incredible valuable things for our lives, like when we're in the midst of that season where we've done something, where we've done something wrong that we know we shouldn't have done, that, that sin in our lives, that's the churchy word we use for it, that sin moment in our lives. Like, what do we do when we've done that? Like, the ideal world, like, yes, we would avoid doing those things, but the reality is, oftentimes, you, me, we all fall into these traps, these things, we do the stuff often that we don't want to do. So now what? And in order for us to learn from this, I need to put uh, David's uh, writing of Psalm 51 into context for you. And so really, to understand Psalm 51, you have to understand 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. In your Bible, if you have time this week, I'd encourage you to pick this up, 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, and read it. Um, it's a very valuable story, very layered, a uh, lot to talk about there. We're not going to talk about all of that today, um, but I encourage you, 
read it. Chapter 11 is David and Bathsheba. Now, show of hands in here, how many of you have heard of David and Bathsheba at least? Like if you've been in church, yeah, that's like 80% of us. No shame if you haven't. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about it real quick so everybody's on the same page. But now the next chapter, chapter 12, is Nathan and David. How many in here have heard of Nathan and David? Like less than half. Well, the problem with that is like this is one continual story. And a lot of times we concentrate on this part, which is important, which is valuable. It helps us hopefully avoid failure in our lives, sin in our lives. But this part, to me, is also so wickedly valuable. So chapter 11 starts with David. It's set with him, and it says it's during a time when kings go to war, and David has sent his army off to defend the nation and to take some extra land, some some things like that. He's back home at the palace. He wakes up one day. He goes to the roof of the palace. It's set up on this hill, and he is looking down at his kingdom. Nothing unusual about that. When he looks down, though, he sees a young woman who is bathing on top of her house. Now, pause real quick. Like, if this happened in our day and age, we'd been like, what is wrong with her? Like, that is, though, in their culture during their time period, this is like hyper normal. This is what they do. This is how they are set up. This is not something weird. This is not something like that at all. There's no blame here for Bathsheba in any of this. So what David did, came to the top, he sees this. What David should have done has been like, oh, I got some good coffee, great sunset, like, yeah, or sunrise, excuse me, like that. But instead, David goes, hey, girl, (laughs) I need to know her. And so he sends his servants to go find out who she is and bring her to him. So the servants do that. They bring her to the palace. Along the way, they warn David because they kind of can put together what's about to happen here. And they warn David, David, like, she's married, number one. And number two, she's married to someone who is close to you, to one of your mightiest warriors, this guy by the name of Uriah. You, you know Uriah. He is literally listed as one of your greatest warriors. You've spent time with him. Like, hey, David, this is, this is who this is. Well, David ignores all this. David does what he wants. And then he sends Bathsheba away, and he thinks, all right, Done. A week later, though, Bathsheba shows up, and she is pregnant. And it starts this spiral for David where he's panicking. And he does what most people try to do, cover up. And so David puts together this scheme. He invites Uriah home under, under the, the guise of, hey, we want to celebrate you. We want to reward you for your, all of the things you've done for the kingdom. So he gives him a gift and talks to him and tries to send him home. For three days, he encourages to go, him to go home. Like at one point, the Bible even says, like he gets Uriah drunk and is like, hey, go home, man. Spend some time with your wife. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You know what I mean? Before you got to go back out to, to, to the battle. And Uriah, though, refuses. He decides that he's going to spend the night on the steps with the palace guards because his men on the front line don't get to come home. And so now what does David do? David, again, in a panic, comes up with a scheme. So David writes to his general leading the battle, folds up the note, seals it, hands it to Uriah and says, deliver this to my general. So Uriah takes this note, 
hands it to the general. General opens it and reads it. What it says is, I need you to send Uriah out to the fiercest part of the battle. And when the fighting is at its worst, I want you to pull everyone back but Uriah. And so that's, that's what they did. And because of that, Uriah got killed. And so David is thinking, great. I've covered it up. I've hidden it. No one has to know now. My shame, the things I've done, the sin. But the problem is, and it's repeated over and over and over and in the Bible, all of these things that we've done in the darkness will eventually come to light. And it's not like David did this grand job of hiding what he's done either. Well, chapter 12 picks up, and this is where Nathan comes in. Nathan is the prophet of God, and God has told Nathan, I need you to go to David, and I need you to tell him this story. So Nathan shows up, walks into David, and says, David, I want to tell you what's going on in your kingdom. He said, in this one part of your kingdom, there's this rich man. He wants for nothing. He has all this land. He has all of this cattle. He has all of these sheep. Like, he is wealthy beyond measure. He said, but living right next door to him, there's this poor man. He's just a normal working guy. Works to support his family, modest house. Says, has one sheep to his name. But this sheep is like his prized possession. Like the sheep literally sleeps at the foot of his bed. The sheep gets to eat from the table of his family. But David, this rich man had some friends coming in, some guests. And so the rich man goes to the poor man's house and he takes what's not his. He takes that sheep. He slaughters that sheep to serve to his guests. And the Bible says that David was just livid. Like even just reading as he, David, just kind of almost loses his mind talking about this guy. David literally flies into this fury and says, then this guy is going to be put to death for what he's done. That can't happen in my kingdom. But before we kill him, we're going to take what he owns and we're going to give it to this poor man. And then in one of the most mic drop moments, Nathan looks at David and says, but David, you don't understand. You are the rich man. And sometimes when you're reading the Bible, I would encourage you just to to maybe engage your imagination a little bit. Because when you're really starting to picture this, and you're really starting to picture the dialogue and what they're saying there, it's almost like you can see David. It's almost like you can feel him like struggling still in that moment to know what to say. It's almost like he's going like, okay, how how can I get out of this one? Like, how can I cover this up more? Like, how, what can I say now? Does he really know, or is he just making this thing up? And then David gives the most half-hearted confession ever. And he says, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, what's really crazy to me is in, in reading Nathan's response, part of it almost seems sarcastic at the beginning, Like, Nathan's kind of like, yeah, you think? (laughs) But Nathan goes on to tell him a couple things. One, that he's going to find forgiveness eventually. But number two, he's going to be walking through a season of consequences. 
Some consequences he's going to face immediately. There's no avoiding them. Some consequences are going to be long-term because of the choices that he made, but he will face those. And David, or Nathan just kind of lays it at David's feet and is like, and so it's your choice now on what you're going to do, on how you're going to approach it. And so it's literally in this, this moment, over the next seven days, where I'm just going to tell you, David faced some very dark and tough consequences that he pens Psalm 51. And so it's in this moment of shame and pain and brokenness and weakness that I want you to also hear David's words. So we're going to read Psalm 51 in its entirety right here. And then we're going to talk about three things that I think we should do when we find ourselves in the same situation as David. David said, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, O God, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sin. Remove the stain of my guilt and create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness and seal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire sacrifice, or I would offer you one. You do not want burnt offerings. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. And he's speaking metaphorically about himself here when he says, look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit. With burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings and bulls again will be sacrificed on your altar. In the moment of his most profound moment of shame and brokenness, and sin. In the midst of him wishing nobody knew about this, he pens these words. And these words for us thousands of years later are meant, meant to invoke feeling, meant to invoke and inspire us towards something very important here. But you can feel David right here in these moments going, I am broken, I am hurt, I don't know what to do. I should have handled this a different way. I know, God, that now, God, can you ever forgive me? But it's in these, this writing here, 
that I think we see three very important things about how we should handle ourselves in these moments. Like, I don't think David gets everything right in here, but there are three things for sure that really stand out. And so I I want you to kind of put yourselves in David's shoes as we talk about this, and we're very briefly going to run through these three things. And I know maybe you're not struggling with some shame on the same level that David is. Like, I, I get that. But let's just be honest. We've all done some things that we hope, maybe even still hope, that nobody finds out about. And that some of us in the room might be hiding some things right now that, man, our, our literal prayer is, may no one find out. And so what do we learn during these times? Three things. First of all, confession and repentance, not cover-up, really brings the freedom that our souls long for. Like, one of the things that David is, is grasping at in here is, it's like our souls long for freedom. It's like our souls long for honesty, before God and before man, to really have this layer of, here is who I really am, but for whatever reason, we're wired for two natural responses when we've messed up. Number one is cover-up, and number two is bargaining. Like, like it's, it's just a natural response. And like we can see that even from uh, the beginning of humanity. Like I, I think back to Genesis chapter number one. Like Adam and Eve, only two people around. God gives them one command. They do the opposite of the one thing that God asked them to do. And what's their initial, immediate response? They literally try to cover themselves up and hide from God. And isn't that our response most of the time? Like, oh, crap, I've done something. Let's not talk about it. We're not going to tell anyone. We're not going to show one. I'm going to just make this go away. I hesitate whether to bring this up, but like um, whenever I say the word cover up, like if we're politically minded at all, like there's something that has popped into our head. And if, if you vote blue, like you're pointing at the red side and going, yeah, when they did this, like it didn't go well for them then. And if you vote red, you're pointing at the blue side going, yeah, and when they did this and covered it up, it didn't go well for them. Okay, like remove your political biases out of it. It never goes well for anyone. Like reality has proven over and over and over and over and over and over again, the only thing cover-up does for us is make it worse. It gives it room to fester and to grow and to spiral, and that's exactly what David did. And that other side of it, the bargaining side, like David, when he's talking about the sacrifices, like that was built into their religious culture, But it's also this element where David is probably doing or was trying to do in his mind the same thing that you and I kind of do in those moments. Like, God, if you'll get me out of this, I promise I'll go to church every Sunday, like all of the Sundays, like help me, God. The reality is, is that's not what God wants. And let's be honest with ourselves, how many of us have made those bargains with God and then maybe it has gone the way that we hoped and then we're like, oh, just kidding, God. David really, really lands on this understanding of like, deep down, God, really what he wants is honesty from us. 
What our souls long for is honesty. In fact, Psalm 51, verse 6 in there, this is a different version than we just read, but he writes it like this. He says, you deserve honesty from the heart. Yes, utter sincerity and truthfulness. I read this one verse alone over and over and over again the last few weeks from different, different translations of the Bible. Even went back to the, the original Hebrew there to really try to understand what David's writing here. It's almost like in English we lack the right words and phrases to really say what David's trying to express here. But it's like him saying that built into every part of our being, every part of our soul, every cell of our body is this desire to be honest before God, and that's what God really wants. And it's in those moments, I believe, that when we have true confession, true repentance, that our souls find that freedom that they're looking for. Number two, one of the things that David sees is forgiveness is freely given, but it doesn't remove the consequences. And I know sometimes we sit in church and we want to talk to pastors or we want to pray a prayer and at the end of it, our big hope is like it's this get out of jail free card. Like, God's forgiven me, I, so I shouldn't have to walk through the consequences of my actions, right? <laughs> like, I, I mean, I've I quite literally had people sit in my office, confess something to me, we've prayed and we've talked about God's forgiveness And then I've turned around and told them, okay, well, now you need to tell this person what you've done. And they're like, but why? They'll be mad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But the reality is, is we will have to face the consequences in our lives. But that doesn't mean the forgiveness isn't there. Like even back in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, Like, I love the fact that Nathan looks at David and says, yeah, man, you messed up. You're going to get forgiveness, but here are the consequences. And I told you, like, Nathan is considered a prophet in the Old Testament. And I know with our modern day thinking, like when we hear the word prophet and prophecy in the Old Testament, like we kind of have this idea that they're these people that kind of, like they see the future, like they're psychic somehow. But that's not really what a prophet in the Old Testament was. Like they're more of a pastoral type presence that is kind of getting people, trying desperately to get people to see the wisdom of God. And more often than not, they're looking at them and saying, hey, you've done this, so this is going to be the consequences in the future. Hey, if you keep going on this path, this is going to be the consequences. It's not, I see the future and this is going to happen, so if you do this and that. No, no, no. It's almost like, hey, like law of sowing and reaping here. Like, you do this, you're going to get this. That's kind of what the prophets are. And that's the story we see over and over and over and over and over again in the Bible is like, hey, you do something, there's going to be consequences to face, but guess what? There is going to be forgiveness that can be had. And that's the story of our Bible. God gives us forgiveness. Even when we mess up, even when we're broken and sinful, do things over and over again that we know we're not supposed to do, he forgives us. He sent Jesus for us for that very reason. But that forgiveness is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. 
And I know like we cover up and we bargain because we don't want to face those consequences. But again, the story of David, the story of scripture, the reality that we see in life over and over and over again is that if we don't face those consequences, all that we're going to do is give it time to fester and grow and be made worse and worse and worse and worse. It's that truth, it's that honesty, it's that confession that brings freedom. Takes us to the, the third thing. Number three, restoration is about accountability for yourself and helping others struggle in the same way. So even in that moment when we're honest and we confess and we find that forgiveness and we find us repentant before God and saying, God, I'm not gonna do those things. Like there's a point to our restoration. There's a point to David's restoration. And that point is, realizing that we need accountability and we need to help others. David kind of puts it very succinctly in in, uh, verses 12 and 13 here. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Again, Psalms are written Poetically, So sometimes you kind of have to, to really see and read a little bit through the lines of what he's saying here. But the nice thing is, is we have the history of David to really see what happened. See, what happened was after Nathan came to him and after Nathan told him that story and after David started this process of facing these consequences, he faced some really tough ones immediately. And some of the consequences that he faced were people knowing about all this and starting to doubt him as a king. Which seems like a terrible thing when you're the king. You're like, hey, I I don't want people to doubt me. The trust was eroded, all of these other things. But what it produced is people around David who were willing to ask him the tough questions. Who were literally looking at him in the middle of those first set of of consequences that he was facing, literally asking him, David, we don't understand you in this moment. You did this and now this and you're doing this. It produced people around him that were going to keep him accountable and heading in the right direction. And let's be honest, that's what we need. Like if we didn't need accountability, we wouldn't have gotten ourselves in trouble in the first place. If we didn't need accountability, we wouldn't have chosen to cover it up. We wouldn't have chosen to cover it up again and again and again and again. But the truth is, is we keep doing the same things. We keep trying to cover it up. Why? Because we don't have accountability around ourselves. And David here talking about teaching his, uh, God's ways to rebels here, like he's already referred to himself as having a rebellious heart. It's him recognizing the single best way that I can help the world, that I can even help myself, that I can keep myself accountable, is helping others avoid my exact same mistake. Like there's something special when you get to that spot, when you can see other people who are walking down a path you've already been, and you can be like, hey, don't do that, bud. (laughs) Like been there, done that, got the t-shirt, it was terrible. Let me help you. 
And I know, again, we're talking a lot about human nature today, and I've been using this phrase a lot. I know that sometimes when we're on the backside of all of these things, when we've walked through it, we've found forgiveness, maybe we've even confessed to somebody that we've hurt, uh, somebody that we have sinned against, uh, and we have rebuilt trust that sometimes like we never want to talk about it again. But the reality is over and over and over again, scripture encourages us to take that as a way to help others around us because it helps them and it helps us. One of the most incredible things to me too about this story is kind of how it unfolds for David's family. I told you David faced a ton of consequences. Some of the long-term consequences is like, uh, part of his family rebelled against him. One of his sons led an insurrection against him. The, all of Israel started doubting him. They went from a time of extreme peace, the most peace that that kingdom had ever seen, to a time of infighting. All, all because I think of David's uh, mistakes that he made here. Can all be traced back to that. But at the end of the day, David's son Solomon takes the throne. And he succeeds David, brings peace back to Israel. But Solomon's kind of looking back and reflecting. Solomon in our Bible is considered probably the man that was filled with the most wisdom of anyone alive. And he writes uh, much of what we call the book of Proverbs. And these are wisdom sayings. And there's, there's just this one line in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13. And I love it because David's son succinctly puts it like this. Having seen his dad walk through this, the pain, the confession, the repentance, the consequences, all of that. He says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. Like, like that's the story right there. You mess up, not the best thing in the world, we shouldn't do that. But when we conceal them, it seems to be when all of our lives start breaking down. But if they confess, and turn from them, then they will receive mercy. Solomon saying, you're going to mess up. Everyone's going to mess up. But it's in the concealing. It's in the concealing that we make it so much worse. And it's in the confession where we find that freedom. So today, I, I couldn't help but think of one way to really end this service. And so we're actually going to have our ushers come down the aisles and they're going to have microphones and you're going to tell us your worst sin. <laughs> no, they, the ushers are going to come down the aisles, but they're going to have our communion elements. And I want you to go ahead and take these out. Go ahead and open these up. I want you to hold the bread in one hand, juice in the other. If you're joining us online, feel free to Hit the space bar, pause the, the feed right now, and just go to your kitchen and grab a substitute for the, the juice and the bread. We say this phrase when we take communion. We say this phrase, do this in remembrance of me. It's a direct quote from Jesus. Last week he was on earth. He sat with his disciples around a table and they were doing this meal together. It was called the Passover meal. It was a tradition that they had. As he took this meal, he kind of turned it on its head and made 
made its significance something entirely different and it's something that we celebrate as a church to this day, remembering what Jesus has done for us. What we're remembering is that Jesus was broken, is that Jesus shed his blood, is that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins. For our weakness, for our brokenness, for our shame, for our things that we try to cover up, Jesus stepped out of heaven to die for us. And I think one of the things that we owe to him is this honesty before him. Is being willing to confess and be honest with God and say, this is what's going on in me. I know I've run from you, God. I'm hiding this from you, God. I'm hiding this from my spouse. I'm hiding this from my employer. I'm hiding this from my parents, whomever. But God, this is what's going on in my life and forgive me. It's that first step of confession that we all need to have. And so today I I figured the best way to close was to give each of us an opportunity to confess a little bit before God. And so what I'm gonna ask is that we take about 15 to 20 seconds. And in your own way, in silence, I don't, you don't need to be calling this out for everyone to hear around you or anything like that. Like, just having that moment of honesty before God. Saying, God, I'm sorry, I've done this. So would you join me by bowing your heads, closing your eyes, taking 15 seconds before God of some honesty. you to take this bread you should break it between your fingers and I want you to take it this is symbolic of Jesus body that was broken for our wholeness I want you to take the cup take the juice symbolic of his blood that was shed for our forgiveness and now I want you to hear me this was step one in this process Step two in this process is if there's something that's going on inside of you, some deep shame, sinful act, something that you've been struggling with recently, your next step is going to need to be to confess to someone. You need a Nathan in your life that you can confess this to. Some of you, that means you need to talk to a trusted friend. Some of you need to talk to maybe a a table leader from your Bible study. Some of you need to sit with your spouse and have a real honest conversation. And I know that's probably going to freak you out because you're like, they're going to freak out and there's going to be consequences. Yeah. But if you want to find that freedom, if you want to find that joy in your soul once again, if you want to come to that place like David where you found restoration, it has to start with confession.
Last thing before we go, is I'd love to pray. Would you mind bowing your heads with me one more time? God, we just come to you and I just, I just stand here thankful that God, you knowing all things, seeing all things, knowing the ways we would mess up, we would screw up, how over and over and over again we would do the things that you tell us not to do and not do the things that you tell us to do. And despite knowing all that, you still love us so much that you lavish us with your grace, your mercy, your love, and your forgiveness. Let us never forget that. But help us, God, realize and see that if we want to find freedom, if our souls want to feel free again, that it has to come with confession and repentance, confession and repentance, confession and repentance. Lord, help us to have these tough conversations that we need to have. And it's in Jesus' name we thank you and praise you. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.